0: Welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. You're joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to looking at the world of sport and all the action that's going up. I most certainly am, Rob. There's been some
1: fantastic stuff over the weekend. There's some fantastic stuff coming up next weekend, and I
0: can't wait to break it all down. Yeah, what an exciting time it is, James. I'm going to start uh, with the football and the FA Cup, Uh, James. uh, Man United and Man City both in action. Uh, We'll look at United first. Uh, Lost on penalties to Middlesbrough. Um, What did you make of it? Yeah, one of the most dramatic penalty shootouts I've seen
1: in a long time. Middlesbrough defeating Manchester United 8 penalties to 7. Alanga unfortunately missing that one for Manchester United. He's received a tirade of abuse on social media and similarly to the poor English lads in the summer, Saka, Sancho, Rashford he's receiving horrid comments, completely out of order comments to be quite frank. And what do you make of that, Rob?
0: Yeah, terrible obviously with the FA Cup, you know, emotions running high but Line should shouldn't be crossed, James. And I think it's it's terrible that you know United fans have turned on this young kid who had the bravery to to want to step up and take a penalty in the FA Cup. I'm sure the authorities will be looking at the the, the tweets and, and the abuse, and will be looking to, to prosecute people. And I think it's important, obviously, you know these people are found and are prosecuted because um, if they need to be sort of made examples of, James, really. In society, because you can't do that uh, to, to people who, you know, all they want, all they want to do is, is play football and, and have a career. They don't need to be abused for missing a penalty. And I think personally, um, you know, hopefully the authorities can, can weed these people out uh, and it'll make our game better. What do you think, James? I think you've hit the nail on the
1: head there, Rob. There's absolutely no time for these disgusting people in football. And Alanga, we're all behind you. You're a fantastic player, and
0: he's got a great future ahead. He has, James. He hasn't. And Manchester United, we, we talk, we talk about the, the problems in the squad, um, but with Manchester United, they always produce uh, talent at youth level. Uh, and, you know, this this kid's coming through uh, and there will be people, hopefully, around him who are, who are coaching him through this, this situation. Uh, and it will it will make him a better man. It will make him a better sportsman that he'll he'll have gone through this, uh, you know, bad time uh, and make him a better player. And that's what's going to help Manchester United in the future, James. And obviously, we have everything going on with a transfer window last week and, um, you know, uh, you know, people going and and people not coming. It makes our squad a bit weaker, um, but obviously with the youth players coming through, it it plugs the gaps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Manchester United have a history of bringing through young stars and we're hoping that all the ones that are coming through at the moment can fill in for the next generation and somebody who's part of that next generation, of course, a very young player, not necessarily come through the youth development side, of course, we've only just got him in, but a youngster all the same, Sancho bagging a goal, he's not found too many of them this season and we're wanting him to score so he can find that bit of confidence and become the player we know he
0: can be. He is, he is, James. He's, he's slowly finding his feet at Old Trafford, and, and that's an important thing. Uh, he came in the summer, big expectation. Um, you know, lots of money spent, and, and and you think to yourself, you know, he's coming in. I know he's English. I know he's obviously been playing in, in the German league. Uh, so to come back to England, it's a pressure, isn't it? And playing for Manchester United is an extra pressure on top of his shoulders. Uh, with Ronaldo coming and Man United being sort of full of of attacking flair, he has to find a way. Into that team, and he has managed to do it now. James, he's started to find his feet, started to score goals, uh, and hopefully that will continue. It's only going to help uh, Manchester United going forward because obviously with Manchester United, the attack isn't a the problem. They've got goal scorers all over the show. We've got we've got other areas which need addressing, uh, but going forward isn't is one of them. And and obviously with Sancho starting to bang in the goals, it's only going to be good going forward.
1: It most certainly will be, Rob. And let's look at the other side of the coin now. Of course, tragedy for Manchester United. But what seems like a mid miracle for Middlesbrough. Nobody would have expected them to beat Manchester United in this penalty shoot. Uh, in This is possibly one of the best days in Middlesbrough history.
0: Yes, indeed, James. Obviously, the FA Cup, you know, another giant killing that can add to the list of giant killers through the years. And that is what keeps the club. A cup alive and keeps you know the fans switched on. It keeps the players switched on, and and it's probably the best cup competition in in the world really. And you're, you're hoping there'll be more uh, you know upsets to come in the future. And that's why sponsors still tune in. That's why those fans still tune in because there's always a there's always a cup drama around the corner. There's always a giant killing about to happen, and that's what we all watch it for. You're talking the magic of the cup there, Robin. For me, that's been somewhat lost over the last sort
1: of ten years or so. There were the days where every television station in the country would be talking about the FA Cup on final day. The, the whole country would stand still as the two best teams in the competition battled it out for that prestigious honour. That seems to have gone somewhere along the line. We've lost the magic, and somebody who believes we need to get that back is Roy Keane because Jurgen Klopp has achieved a massive amount at Liverpool, winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League. In the cl- first time in the club's history, but he's never made it past the fifth round of the FA Cup on a single occasion. Despite six bites of the cherry, Rob Roy Keane says he needs to put his priorities in order and he needs to get the Reds their first win since 2006. What's your verdict on all this?
0: Yeah, I think it's right. You, you need, uh, you know, you need the players obviously, and, and Jurgen Klopp to invest in the cup, and and it can obviously, it must, it mustn't be in his dna to to want to you know go to to an fa cup final and, and and kind of want want to really want to win one back in the glory days james used to be you know, FA Cup final day used to be all day. They'd, they'd have to build up. They'd have question time. Uh, so they'd have a question of sport. FA Cup final. Uh, they'd have all kinds of different programs that were FA Cup related. And Then you'd all sit down and watch the match, and it'd be a massive community, massive family thing. Like you said, all that's gone now, and it's it's unfortunate. And I, and I feel uh, people like Jurgen Klopp are the reason that happened because they're thinking of the bigger picture, they're thinking of European Cups, they're thinking of making Liverpool the best team in the world when really... He should really be investing in the, in the FA Cup to make the memories for him, his players and the fans that follow Liverpool. Because I forget, Liverpool have a, have a very good uh, history in the FA Cup. It's not like they've, they've never won it. They've won it lots of times. So even them, them fans will want to get involved, you know, want the FA Cup back at Anfield. So for him to kind of like just drift it to one side is a bit, bit of disrespect, really. I mean, it's something you want
1: on your resume, isn't it? I mean, winning the FA Cup solidifies what's already an incredible career for Jurgen Klopp as a manager. Mm.
0: Do you think the competition will ever get that sparkle back or do you think it's too far gone now? Yeah, I think society has moved on really, early, James. And, you know, there's other distractions, isn't there now, uh, both physically and on the tele, Um And, and you, you wish it could get back there. You wish it could be the main uh, event. I suppose it's like, a flashback, the 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 Queen's Jubilee, uh, the, this year, you know, where everyone tunes in, it was like that every FA Cup final day. How you managed to to turn back the clock and get everybody to tune into the FA Cup final is is a very very uh, difficult question. Obviously, these. Uh, marketers and and the FA Cup, uh, you know, people re- really would want to know the answer to that, James, to make the the, the spectacle bigger than it is. Um, but you're hoping, obviously, if we continue to make memories, and I think the problem you've got as well, thinking about it, is with the FA Cup, it's usually sort of maybe one of four teams that end up winning it when pre sort of Premier League. Um, Teams. It was a different team every year, really, and and that gave fans hope, and it and it gave all players hope from other teams that the FA Cup was a was a route to success, uh, and how you managed to switch that round and to say to you know Manchester United and City and, and Liverpool and and Chelsea and say to them, look, could do we not win it this year because we need the FA Cup to be a, a bigger spectacle and, and everyone else wants to win it? How you do that, I don't know. Whether you say to them, look don't enter but then that devalues the cup I remember in I think it was was in 99 not 2000 where United didn't go to didn't play in the FA Cup when they went to the world championship and, and, and there was a massive uproar then so I don't think the FA will be saying to the bigger clubs, listen, could do with having a different name on the cup this year. Uh, Do you mind giving it a miss? Even though the big teams probably would want to give it a miss because they'd be able to rest the main players. Uh, But it would devalue the competition and then sponsors might want to pull out and you'd get into this kind of a spin, don't you, of of, of losing money, negative press. And then that's the wrong way we want the FA Cup to go. I mean, it's weird there because those
1: things are almost contradictory, aren't they? Because you'd expect the bigger clubs to win... In the days where there was, I mean, I suppose more cup magic, wouldn't you? I mean, I suppose the way the whole game is changing, it's very bizarre because things move on. And now with so many good teams, your Manchester United, your Chelsea, surely nowadays you'd expect... The
0: point you're making, James, is that now the top teams are super fit. The players aren't going to get overrun. And back in the days when, you know, the FA Cup in the 70s, uh, the 80s, the 56, 70s, 80s, the, the fitness between the top teams and everyone else wasn't that different. The top teams were the top teams because they had better players. Now, you've got the top teams, like of City, uh, United, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, the Premier League, let's say, they're all professional athletes, they're all racehorses, really, super fit, they aren't going to get overrun by a second division club. The only way the second division club have an opportunity to win, realistically, is if the Premier League club decide to play a sort of a weakened side or an academy side, trying to save the legs of the senior players, and they misjudge the, the, the second division team. If the Premier League decide to play you know, their first 11, it would be a massive task for that of second division club. even It wouldn't be impossible, James, don't get me wrong, but it would be a massive thing. And I think the only way that happens is if they spoil it and it wouldn't be a good uh, watch if you're watching these second division team sort of scrap and, and kick and, and try and sort of unsettle the Premier League uh, team. It wouldn't be a good watch, but you might get a result.
1: I mean, potentially not, Rob. And now we talk about Manchester City, one of those big teams in question, one of the teams that we expect to potentially win this competition. Mm. They won 4 1 against Fulham. Gundagern scoring, Morris bagging a couple as well. And you discussed before the show the chance of them winning this treble. Do you think that's very much alive?
0: I think Man City um, are sort of the pinnacle of, of, of English football, really. They've got talent uh, all over the squad. And you. you you think to yourself, last year when the, 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 the quadruple was on, uh, but it wasn't. And then this year, it, it could be on again. The treble could be on. Um, They aren't going to keep uh, missing this opportunity. It's only going to be out there a time, I think, until someone comes in and, and takes that crown Till they hit a treble. Look back at Man United treble in '99. When it was a lot of lucky involved in that season, as well as you know a team that didn't know how to lose and would refuse to lose. This Man City team are as good technically. Um, we will have to see if they can if they can grind that result out in the FA Cup because in the league the, the coast in the league, aren't they? The European Cup is Euro Cup. That's the one they're really after. Um, so the FA Cup against uh, you know other teams might be it might be a situation for for for, uh, for Guardiola. But we'll have to wait and see. You're kind of hoping uh, that that Man City, being a football fan, um, do we want them to win the the treble? Does that send the right message out to everybody? that Obviously, if you have lots of money, you can buy the best players and then you can win the lot. Is that the message you want to send out to to, to people watching at home, James? That's a big question. It's not a romantic image, is it, to put out
1: to people. But ultimately, at the end of the day, football is business. And the fans to a lot of, I mean, if we're just going to be completely honest, the fans to a lot of these chairmen are commodities. Hmm. They're what's bringing the money in. They're providing it. It's not like the fans are a valued commodity at so many of these clubs. And of course, there are chairmen who adore their fans, and the game means so much to the fans. But sometimes the people at the highest level of the clubs don't pay those fans the same respects. That's why, you know, these tickets are so massively expensive for such a working class sport. So it is difficult in that sense. So I don't think they particularly care what image they're putting out. As long as they're getting the results in, that's all that matters. I mean, do you think Newcastle particularly care of the image that they're about to bring in? I mean, none of the Newcastle fans can be begrudged for enjoying
0: the ride they're about to go on, can they? That's just the way football is. It can can be an exciting ride, James, but money doesn't buy you success, success instantly, does it? And if Newcastle falls that trap of buying big players, spending big money, and it doesn't work, then, you, then you're then you in a lot of trouble because obviously you've got a big wage um, cap, you've got a lot of players on your books, and they'll have problems trying to shift them and all shift players that are also keeping players happy. Reminds me of the Man City of the maybe late sort of 90s where they had 35, 36, 37 people in their squad uh, when squads weren't nearly that big. And, and you know, they had lots of players that they couldn't get rid of or they bought thinking that they might improve, but they never did. And and clubs can fall into that trap of of buying players for the names, but not for the quality. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Newcastle fans, like you say, they've, they've gone through a lot, aren't they, Newcastle fans? they've You know, they're a very passionate bunch, Um you know the glory days you talk about the glory days of Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, uh, Peter Birdsley, Kevin Keegan, uh, you know all that you know attacking football uh, but never real never never won anything Malcolm McDonald, you know a, a wonderful centre forward for Newcastle uh, down the years, Paul Gascoigne, you know you could go on there's, there's lots of uh, Geordie legends there uh, that 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 failed to live a trophies so if um, you know the money comes in they purchase the right players James um, and then they start winning trophies uh, you, can't, you can't really say they, they haven't deserved it, uh, but as a Man United fan, could do with them letting, winning, winning one and then we'll just sit back to uh, mid-table mediocrity because there's only so many teams who can compete for a, for, a, for a trophy every year and we don't want another one added to that list, do we? No,
1: certainly are because Politics dominates football to such an extent. And and looking at another country recently, we're going to travel over to Spain, Barcelona to be precise. There's a very interesting story going on right there due to their finances with Gerard Piquet and Lionel Messi. And of course, everybody is aware of the terrible financial situation at the cap, all the ridiculous holes they try to jump through to keep the club afloat. In the summer, several players took pay cuts and that includes the likes of Jordi Alba, that includes the likes of Gerard Piquet and Sergio Busquets. Piquet in particular was heralded as a, as a hero at the club, and when he bagged on an opening day against Real Sociedad, the Barca crowd went through the roof screaming for him. But there's been a, bit a, little, a little bit of a controversy with him uh, over the past week because him and Lionel Messi have had a little bit of a fallout because it's been revealed that Piquet only took his pay cut after Lionel Messi exited the club. Had he took it earlier, then Barcelona could have potentially afforded to keep Messi and that would have been mm. absolutely vital for them this season and of course the two players haven't quite buried the hatchet yet because Lionel Messi came home for a reunion meal with all his, all his Barcelona friends PK was not invited to that meal Rob and I know <laughs> that every time we do a sports
0: zone so if me and Paul went out and didn't invite you they'd be hell to pay i yeah oh, uh, they, they would they'd be WhatsApp messages being pinged—that's for sure.
1: <laughs> well, certainly.
0: What do you make of this whole whole messy thing? Is this yeah. situation gone past the point of repair? It, I, d- I just think to myself, why no messy? You've moved on. You've gone to you've gone to to France. You've gone to PSG to extend your career, and you know, hopefully, you know, bring a European Cup to, to them. You don't need to come back and do you know. Uh, reunion uh, meals. You're not even retired. You've been gone less than twelve months. If you've gone twenty years, then fair enough. I'm, I can, I can, I can accept a reunion meal. Twenty five years, I can, I can, you know, accept a like a a TV program about how you did at Barcelona and the memories. But you've been gone twelve months. What are we doing about? Why, why are we having a reunion meal when you've barely, the door hasn't even shut behind you?
1: I know. It, it seems a little bit bizarre because. Lionel Messi, by the sounds of it, never wanted to leave Barcelona, did he? Mm-hmm. He had to be pushed out the door due to financial reasons. He was happy to stay at the new Camp for the entirety of his career and play it safe if we're Mm. going to be frank, but he was forced to move to Paris Saint-Germain. They could afford him. Barcelona couldn't. And due to the fact that, really, he never wanted to be at PSG in the first place, can you blame him for wanting to go back? Because in his mind, he's going home. It's almost like somebody going to university and then realising three weeks into the course that they're missing home, they miss their mum and dad, and they've got to go back. Is Lionel Messi in a sort of similar situation of desperately wanting to be back in Barcelona?
0: Yeah, I think the problem with with Messi, gone gone to PSG, not really hitting the the heights people expected him to do. And us fans are looking at him thinking, yeah, well, you know, we're talking about the Ronaldo-Messi, uh, you know, situation, who's the greatest of all time. It kind of adds fuel to the fire that, you know Lionel Messi isn't isn't one of the greatest of all time. If he can't go to P- PSG uh, and and set the the French league on fire week in week out, questions have to be asked. But that's not for me to say. That's the only facts that that I can see in front of me. Uh, but we'll have to wait how it plays out. Could be you know a couple more years in France and his fortunes might turn, uh, and then he might be forgetting all about that Barcelona connection. When the phone rings for next year's reunion, uh, you will know, party, he'll just go and leave it, leave it, go to answer phone.
1: Who knows, maybe. Maybe he'll let Gerard Piquet's calls ring through (laughs) and leave him in the dark a little bit. But you mentioned the whole Ronaldo-Messi thing there. And there's a bit of a difference now in the way we discuss this because it was always that argument of, yes, Ronaldo's done it in other leagues, but Messi's never had the opportunity to do that. And people always said, could Messi do it on a Tuesday night in Stoke when it's raining and pouring down? And people were obviously saying, of course he could, are you being stupid? But now it seems that, Maybe he can't do it in a different league. Maybe it was just due to the Barcelona team that he had so much success. And is his legacy, is what he's doing at PSG degrading his legacy?
0: I think it is a bit, James. I really do. Um, When when you go to France, it's not a a premier uh, football league in the Europe. People thought, yeah, he's going down to to a second, it's not second, we could say second rate because it's not one of the top leagues in Europe. But, People were expecting more. And in Barcelona, he was the man. We've seen clips of him beating eight men and scoring and, and being, you know, the wizard he is and to not do it in france puts a big question mark on it for me if he had not gone to the premier league and and done it then the question would have been is you know can he do it in the premier league the premier league is a top top division you know it is a it is a top division he can't do it maybe he's still great but the premier league has, has got him uh, got his number but not doing it in france it's a, it's a big question in my eyes
1: yeah it's a massive question isn't it and uh, is he ever going to reach the heights now or do you think Time's passed him by and the opportunity to potentially go to another league that he could have done about four or five seasons
0: ago. How's that drifted him by now? And is it, is he just gonna spiral further and further? I think he has, James. I think it's I think he's done. I think he's, he's in France. He'll probably do a season or two there and then we'll probably see him going off to Saudi Arabia or something to see his uh, see his time up or America. And you know what, he's been a great player. Uh, people will still talk about him as being one of the greatest of all time. Uh, but there'll always be that question, Mark, whether he could have done it in, in Stoke on a Tuesday night in the Premier League. Unfortunately, we'll never get that answer now, I don't think. Looking at um, our fixtures uh, fixtures for our local clubs this uh, this week, James, coming up. Uh, United are away at Burnley on Tuesday. They're at home to Southampton on Saturday. Uh, two tough games, that, for Ralph's men.
1: Yeah, two tough games. Away at Burnley, home to Southampton. Tough games, but not the toughest. I still expect us to get a decent win out of it. And I'm hoping off the back of everything that's happened with Alanger, there's a bit of motivation in the squad to hit back. Manchester City, two tough fixtures, playing Brentford, playing Norwich. That's probably the easier one, the Norwich fixture. Brentford, better than most of us always expect them to do. And you reminded me of a little story then, Rob, when you were talking about that you know, that rainy night, Messi playing in Middlesbrough or Hull or Brentford or wherever he would have been playing. The yeah. story that's occurred this week, Honduras versus the USA took place in America. The United States hosted this one in a World Cup qualifying game. Yeah. And the fixture took place in minus 20 degrees. Wow. Shocking temperatures. The coldest ever recorded in American football fixture. Two players treated for hypothermia from the Honduras side. Another one had to be given an IV drip because, of course, they're used to playing in far warmer climates. The USA team came out after the game and said that this was intentional, that they wanted to put the Hondurans in difficult positions. So for you, Rob, is this completely out of order from them? I mean, they're risking the health of these Honduras players. Or is it more of a
0: case of they're playing to the advantage and they're using their initiative? You've got to play to your advantage uh, there's stories of of uh, football teams and rugby teams turning up the heating uh, in dressing rooms turning off all, all, all the hot water on and off there's all kinds of stories you know leaving you know laundry and and you know human feces all over the all over the walls things like that to, to gain an advantage you know and i don't see that's wrong with that if if obviously you are putting player's health at risk uh, then then you might be sort of stepping too far over that over that bite line but You've got to get your advantage where you can. And and you know, it's so I suppose with football the way it is, sport, it is all about that one percent. And if you change your room smells of poo and that gives you, you know, an advantage over your over your opponent, then you know, I'm off of that. I'll be honest, Rob, when we started this conversation off, I think playing in twenty
1: degrees at minus twenty degrees is bad. I think playing in a feces-filled change room or whatever you sounds a hell of a lot worse. (laughs) But anyway, I've got a couple more stories for you. This is an interesting Rob, actually. Roberto Carlos, you remember him? One of the greatest Brazilians we've ever seen. A modern-day legend. Scored one of the greatest free kicks in World Cup history. A local team in Shropshire on eBay won a competition to have him play for their pub team. So Roberto Carlos is going to be playing in potentially a fee seed filled dressing room <laughs> in the middle of Shropshire. Such a bizarre story, but could you imagine sharing the pitch with Roberto Carlos? Because there's ten players from Shropshire who will be on the same team, and then another eleven players will be taking him on.
0: Yeah, it'll be if we what dreams are made of really for these players, obviously they've watched him play, haven't they, in World Cups and 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 you know for Real Madrid and they they'll want to uh, you know experience, you know, what he can do and and Obviously, that picture at the end, the self at the end, that's another thing as well. But I think it's great that, you know, these players get an opportunity. Obviously, he mustn't be doing it for nothing. He'll get something out of it as well. So it's a win win situation for me. Absolutely, Rob. I mean,
1: do you think you could keep Roberto Carlos out of a squad or do you think he'd take your position?
0: I think uh, me as a I'm, my days as a flying right winger um, are gone, so I think he'd keep me in his back pocket when we're in the game. Um, as a defender, I was I was more of a goalkeeper than a, than a, than, a, than a defender really when it came to that end of the field. So I think his vision's uh, safe um, with me around. Um, just look at the other teams. Uh, Man City are at home to Brentford, and then they're away to Norwich. Um, you think two wins for City there, James? Yeah, you absolutely would. I mean, the
1: Brentford game, the harder of the two, but I think they bypass Norwich with relative ease, to be to be quite frank, Rob.
0: Yeah, uh, and then finally, uh, Salford City, who had the game this week against Port Vale uh, postponed because they had a waterlogged pitch, uh, are at away to Sutton, and then they're sorry, they're away to Sutton, and then they're away to Latin Orient. So, I suppose it gives that pitcher a bit of a rest, uh, playing two games away.
1: Yeah, most certainly. I mean, with that Port
0: Vale game ending up
1: postponed, of course, they beat Carlisle two goals to one. I said last week that that would be a fairly easy game, of course. The scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect that, but it wins a win with Carlisle, of course, being in 22nd place. Salford in 10th now. Equal on points now with Port Vale, however, Mm. they've played 29 games compared to Port Vale's twenty-six, so of course. That gives Port Vale a, a pretty decent chance of taking them back over. But going into these two games, we've got Sutton and Leighton Orient. Leighton Orient, that's the winnable one for me. Sutton have been playing great
0: this season in third place, still in that title hunt. So that's going to be the tough one as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we're joined by uh, Paul Whiteside from The Devil of the Detail. Uh, all right, Paul, the, obviously there's talk of uh, Solfrid Devils moving to Moor Lane. Uh, are you concerned that the pitch uh, water, water being waterlogged uh, it could be a, a stumbling block?
2: Uh, yeah, good evening, guys. Um, I don't... No, I don't, to be honest with you. I think rugby league and, and other sport, maybe rugby union as well, I don't think they need a bowling green sort of pitch like like football do. I mean, I was working over the weekend over in Rochdale and they were playing Carlisle and about five to two, all the Carlisle sports were getting off the bus. And I believe at half past two, it got postponed for the waterlogged pitch. So it's, like, it's a bit late in the day, that sort of thing, really, isn't it? So that was a bit of a farce, but... No, I'm not concerned to be honest with you guys. I, I've always thought, and I don't know if this is a myth, but does the grass get cut short off a of football than just for rugby? Because I always think the grass looks a bit longer in rugby pitch than a football pitch. I might be wrong, but um, but no, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. And I'll worry. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it.
0: <laughs> if I squint a bit, James, you look a bit like Alan Titchmarsh. Is that true or false?
1: Well, I've often been told I've got to look for Alan Titchmarsh, so I'm a fantastic gardener. Uh, my series can be acquired uh, at gardeningunion.co.uk.
0: So if anyone's after a gardener, I'll be your man. <laughs> So that's something to think about in the in the, uh, in the next few weeks and months to come, obviously when the sun rises and the temperature gets better, James is available to cut your hedges, uh, so that's all the football chat, now we'll talk ice hockey James
1: Yeah we most certainly will Rob, we've got a couple of questions
0: here, Manchester Storm played two games this week, can you talk us through them? Yeah, two games, both against Coventry. Uh, they lost at home 4-1 uh, in a one-sided contest down at the Storm Shelter, and then on the Sunday they travelled to Coventry and lost 3-2. Closer game that one, uh, but unfortunately Ryan Finney, his men not able uh, to pick up any points this weekend. After a good weekend last weekend, and players and, and fans were starting dreaming of the, a playoff spot, back to ground, back down to the ground with a bump this week. Two defeats in two. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see how the players can react to that.
1: Yeah, a bit of a tough week, of course. Um, you mentioned there how Salford, they started to get dreaming again, didn't they, last week? Ryan Finiti's men putting in two inspiring performances, but we plateaued a bit this week. We weren't able to capture the same form. Going into next week's games, do you think we can rise back up again or is this completely halted our momentum?
0: Well, got Nottingham home um, on Saturday, opportunity for Ryan Finney's men uh, to bounce back there. And then the Sheffield, the Derby, away from home the next day, is the one we're looking for. You know, Sheffield and and Storm games are always... Big events, both on and off the ice. Players will be up for it. Fans will be up for it. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere there in Sheffield. Hopefully, you'll have a lot of Manchester Storm fans who can get down there and support the boys and roar them to victory. But it's going to be a great weekend of ice hockey. Hopefully, a four-point weekend and another bounce back up the table, James.
1: Most certainly. We're hoping for massive results for Manchester Storm and we'll hopefully be breaking down those wins next week. But moving on to the boxing now, Paul, and I owe Chris Eubank Jr. and Roy Jones a massive apology because I've said on plenty of occasions on this show that that partnership will not work. I said that Eubank Jr. was getting caught between two styles. I said he was a much more naturally front-forward boxer. Getting him to use his skills, his fundamental ability, was a stupid idea. He wouldn't be able to do that. He wouldn't have a chance of outboxing Liam Williams. He wouldn't be anywhere near good enough to outbox Liam Williams. And he completely dismantled Liam Williams. So I got it completely wrong. What did you make of the fight, Paul? Uh,
2: I thought it was a very strange fight. It's one of the strange fights I've ever seen. I mean, Liam Williams, uh, very, very tough... Very proud man, um, and he got knocked over by by jabs. Really, they, were, they didn't seem a lot in those punches. Um, I think to do it to, to be fair, the way I saw it, I thought he got caught off balance a couple of times, um, and that's how that's how he went down. I don't think they were heavy knockdowns. He was just got his feet in the wrong place and, and and took a tumble. And then the fourth knockdown, I think, was a push. I don't think that was a knockdown. So there was a three in the first four rounds. After that. Williams became the aggressor then, and I think after that, he, he probably won for me quite a few rounds on the spin, and I know some of the commentators were saying, oh, it, he's getting closer now on the cards, and I think he would have gone 15 rounds that, I think it would have been a lot closer than what it was, because he was he was picking rounds and I know Eubank said in the interview afterwards, oh, I, I'll let him survive I don't buy that at all, I don't think he did, I don't think he had the mouse to, to knock out Liam Williams um, and I've nothing against Chris Eubank Jr but he was the better fighter on the night and he deserved to win the fight, but I think a better fighter than Eubank would have would have finished that. He'd have finished Williams there in round five. So uh, so yeah, I felt sorry for Williams. He put an awful lot into an awful lot of effort into it. Um, I was very impressed with, with Eubank in the early stages. I think you could see some of the the traits he's picked up off Roy Jones there. You know, particularly the the, the slickness of his punches and the speed that he's got there. So uh, so he did he did very well. Um, I was very disappointed in Eubank with his his showboating and in his verbal throughout the fight. I think the referee should have had a word with him about that because that's not in the spirit of boxing. I thought that was ridiculous. Um, but it was it was a good fight. It was a good, entertaining fight to watch. And it was a good night overall. There was some some good fights on the bill.
1: It most certainly was, Paul. I really enjoyed it. And last week I sold this fight to Rob. I told him it was going to be absolutely amazing. And it was intriguing to watch for sure, but very bizarre. And of course, I said to you, Rob, that Liam Williams was going to be competitive in this. I said he had a really good chance of winning. Were you disappointed with Williams' performance watching it, Rob? Or were you blown away by how Eubank performed?
0: Well, like you said, you you sold me the fight. So I actually tuned in uh, on Saturday night to watch it. And for me, um, Eubank... um, just didn't kind of, he only kind of did it in fits and starts for me. And the last round was just a bit of a, bit of a you know, uh, a a really bad thing Eubank just danced around the ring didn't want to fight him and I thought to myself he should be really deducting points here really because I want to see action I want to see two fighters fighting each other uh, blood being spilled uh, and, and you know all act- action not Eubank running around a ring being chased basically that's what the last round was um, and obviously Williams you know he seemed like a, a really good fighter um, he got knocked down I think it was like, three times in the first four rounds or something like that so it was a bit of a mountain for him to climb uh, but I just think Eubank did the mass at the end and just thought you know what I don't want to get knocked down here. Just stay away when really, as a, as a viewer and as someone who, who's kind of new to boxing, I want to see him go toe-to-toe for the full 12 rounds, which didn't happen in the end. So what Rob said there, Paul, talking about how he was disappointed
1: with Eubank's showboating, despite the fact that he was capable of knocking a very talented fighter in Liam Williams down three times. Do you think his showboating has done more damage than good for him?
2: I think so. I think it tainted the victory for him. To be honest with it, I'm not a massive fan of Chris Eubank, but I did gain a bit of respect for him in the, in the build-up because I saw bits of it, I saw the way in. And Eubank seemed to keep very calm all the way through it, all the way through fight week. It was Liam Williams doing quite a lot of the aggressiveness on the, the gloves-are-off programme that Sky Sports was on. It was more or less you know, Williams that was getting wound up. And for me, Eubank showed a bit of class there. He didn't really bite. And when he came out last night, he looked really calm and going into the Lion's Den there in Cardiff with all those people there, you know, that must have been tough for him and, and he, he soaked all that up and I know stuff was said on, on social media. I think William said some stuff that was out of order uh, but that that's, that's, that's how fighting seems to go these days, isn't it? But uh, to me, watching the build-up in the week, I thought that Eubank would win the fight because I think Liam Williams used an awful lot of energy with his anger and I think, Eubank's coolness I think it just it, it took the pressure off him a bit I think all the pressure was on Liam Williams last night when he came out he looked angry and I think it, it showed that in his you know early stage in the first round it looked like Williams was going to do the business until that until that knockdown but uh, those knockdowns took an awful lot out of him and I think it shocked him the first one shocked him and then I think as a fighter once you get knocked down you're behind the, the eight ball then because that's a 10-8 round then and, and he must start doing the maths in the red. And once he's gone down three times, he knew then that he had to get a knockout to win the fight because there's no way he's going to win on points.
1: No, the most certainly wasn't. I mean, it did appear, regardless of whether he was caught, a balance or not, he did seem genuinely hurt. He, he, when he went down, he seemed to be gathering his breath. He seemed to look stunned. And has his punch resistance gone, or was he just burning up too much nervous energy?
2: Um, I think a bit of both. I mean, I wouldn't like to say it was was... Um... He was finished like a few people have on social media. He's only 29 years of age. He's been in some tough fights, but he's not a fighter that's been in war after war after war. And you know, took some. You know, some fighters are absolutely smashed, aren't they? By the time they get to 30, and you know, Sam Eggington's is probably one of those fighters. But I don't think Liam Williams has. And he's always been, um, for me, he's always been really, really tough and got a really tough chin. And I was shocked when he went down to those punches because they didn't look. Look much in and it wasn't like it was a big over and right that knocked him down. I think two of them were like jabs, weren't they? So that's what I I didn't find. I just found it strange. I thought, well, what's going on there? It, yeah, has he built up a lot of nervous energy? Is he is he sort of, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think he was trying too hard early doors. I think he was trying too hard to impress. I think, like I said before, I think he put an awful lot of pressure on himself in the build-up. You know, getting get himself wound up on that. And, um, you know, sometimes you've got to be a bit cooler, haven't you? And operate to operate at a high level like that. You can't let the emotion of the occasion get to you. You've got to play the, you know, play the occasion rather than uh, what's the word? I don't, I don't know what this Play say is, at, the man, not the occasion. I mean. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Rob. Yeah. And I think that's. Um, that's one of Liam Williams' flaws, really. I think he he just seemed to, to let it all get on top of him, and you know, fair fair play to him. Well, a lot of fighters could have called it a day there at round five, round six, and you know, and uh, and just you know, took the stool or took the knee, and and said sort I've of had enough. But he didn't. He, you could tell he was going to go right to the end, and I think you've got to give him a lot of credit for that.
1: Yeah, I think we do. I mean, nobody can doubt his heart. It's going to be difficult to see where he goes from here because two losses on the back to Demetrius Andrade and Chris Eubank Jr. But his talent's still there, so hopefully maybe he steps down a little bit of a level. Maybe he can do some damage for the European title or something like that. But looking at that undercard, it was really good, wasn't it? Because we had Chris Jenkins beating Julius Dongo in a career-best win. Shane Gill upsetting Steve Robinson in a massive upset. Otto Wallin getting potentially undeserved victory against Kamil Sokolowski, the Polish journeyman, who I feel incredibly sorry for because I've witnessed that man beat Lucas Brown, beat David Price, beat David Adelaide, and now beat Otto Wallen and not get the decision in any of them. So I feel a bit sorry for him. But the main attraction on the undercard was Kalisha Shields. She got through her fight, and now it looks like we're going to get Marshall Shields in a massive female grudge fight. And for me, this is monumental, Paul. I'm actually far more interested in that than I am in the big Katie Taylor-Amanda Serrano fight. I think. Shields versus Marshall is massive and I actually think Marshall can stop her.
2: Yeah, I think Savannah Marshall's a, a very, very confident lady isn't she uh, good boxer as well and she she's heavy-handed she can she can punch so you know closer Shields, she's a character, isn't she she's a very confident lady i I thought she boxed well last night, but I think you've got to give her an opponent an awful lot of credit. her name escapes me, but I think she was only 23. Um, and to come over here and, and do what she did, I thought she was so brave, outclassed in the fight, but so, so brave. I mean, I don't think she, she got a round on the scorecards. I think Shields got all the rounds, but, but yeah, I mean, Savannah Marshall, you know, had a bit of a ding-dong with her after the fight, didn't it? It was quite entertaining, but she seems to get really wound up, Cluster Shields, I mean, she's not just won a fight, I think she needs to chill out a bit there, but the, that, that fight, you know, was probably just... Uh, you know, stoked up another level now after that meeting of the two of them last night. There's a bit of needle there, and I think that'll be a great fight. really will. The two styles, they say styles make fights, don't they, all the time? And that one will. They're the power of Marshall and the uh, the slick boxing of, of Shield. It should be a cracker. Yeah,
0: I Can think I just it will jump be. Can in like- there, James? Last week talked about 30, didn't we? And I watched that um, sort of interview after the fight where they were shouting at each other. Do you think that was staged, or do you think it was just, you know, come about from where they were?
1: I know that Savannah Marshall beat Clarissa Shields in the amateurs, and she's the only person to have beaten Shields, professional or amateur, so it does get under her skin. And I think she's annoyed by the fact that she calls herself the quote, the greatest woman's fighter of all time. And everybody seems to be picking Marshall to beat her. And I think that's really aggravated Shields. It's got under her skin. And I think she wants to hurt Marshall. I think it's genuine aggression, genuine anger. But I actually just think Marshall's going to be too good for her. But as you say... I mean, the theatre captivates people, doesn't it? It brings people in. And maybe you're going to be watching that, Robin, in the future. And hopefully, everybody who watched that fight on Sky Sports, not Sky Sports Box Office, Sky Sports, sort of attracted monstrous shoes, hopefully they'll all tune in for that big fight because they've sold it. And for the women, I think it's absolutely massive. But summarising the rest of the weekend, Keith Furman returned with a victory over Mario Barrios, looking far better than he did in his last comeback against Pacquiao and Lopez but a couple of stories to conclude the boxing with Paul both coming out of Ukraine very bizarre stories not the typical ones we cover on the sports zone but Alexander Usyk Made his professional football debut for (laughs) a second division Ukrainian side. Very bizarre. He had an opportunity to score a goal and he missed the ball a couple of yards out from goal. I mean, there was nobody anywhere near him, so he had a complete free range to hit it. To be honest, I wouldn't want to tackle Alexander Usyk. I think it might go down potentially quite badly for me. But either way, he missed a big opportunity to score. And secondly, both the Klitschko brothers have signed up to the Ukrainian army to fight the Russians should they go to war. And I couldn't think of anything more scary than going to war, never mind going to war and seeing a Klitschko pointing a gun at you.
2: <laughs> no, they're both, they're both pretty scary, those, right, the Klitschko's. But uh, no, two bizarre Yeah, bizarre stories really there. I mean, Alexander Usyk playing football against you. I mean, you wouldn't want um, to upset him at a corner, would you or mark him at a corner? Because I think he'd flatten you. So, <laughs> so yeah, very bizarre stories there.
1: Most certainly, Rob uh, Paul Ralpher. And I'm going to throw it back over to Rob, who's going to ask you a few questions about rugby league.
0: Yeah, rugby league. Paul, final preseason friendly for Salford Devils this week. Uh, they travelled to Warrington on Friday night. A uh, youthful uh, Salford side went down thirty points to fourteen. Uh, what did you make of the match?
2: Yeah, I thought it was a, it was an it was an enjoyable game. It was and. Um, I was surprised when I saw the squad. I didn't realise Salford had that many youngsters at, at the disposal, really. And um, I know some of the lads have come from, you know, there and there, everywhere. There's a couple of Welsh lads in there and some local lads. And I thought it was great. I thought it was really great to see him play. I was very impressed with Jack Stevens, um, when he's played in, in, in pre-season previously. And again, I thought he had a cracking pair of hands there. and looks a real, real prospect for the future. I think, you know, we've got a put p- posi- persevere with him I think he'll be a great player for us if we can keep hold of him I thought there were some other good performances there as well um, and for us to come back in the game and get it back to 16-14 against, you know, against that Warrington side he was youthful as well but a lot of those Warrington players have played quite a bit of Super League you know, Alex Longstaff and uh, a couple of the, the Willis brothers have, have played or one of them has anyway so Ellis Robson was in that side he spent some time at Salford last season so I, I thought they showed up really well I know Warrington put the foot on the gas and scored a Race of tries, well, three tries it was I think in a very short space of time to take the game away from us but I thought the effort was fantastic and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a re- really good hit out really
0: Yeah there was a few standout players for me uh, Paul uh, Jack Stevens, he's a, a promising halfback from the Sulphur Devils uh, Academy. I thought he was, was very good. Uh, Joseph coupling Franklin, he was a he's a Welsh second row. Um, he's one of the Welsh lads that have uh, been through the National uh, Training and Development Academy down there, and he he, he impressed as well uh, for me. Jacob Lee as um, a big try scorer, one of the big Welsh forwards, six foot two, eighteen stone. Carried I think it was like four Warrington players all over the line to. Score go and him and these players him his, his teammates and the fans were, were really excited about that and also uh, daniel spencer Tonk, he uh, he's kind of a the center played really well i thought as well so there is an opportunity for these players um to, you know to, to play uh for salford red devils reserve side and if they continue their good form i'm sure paul rally will be monitoring the situation and if and if a, a an opportunity and a space comes along on, in that first team squad. Uh, these boys will be ready uh, and willing to take up the uh, the offer.
2: Yeah, it's a bit. It's a massive step up from from the reserve grade and where they played on Friday to, to Super League. But you've got to have that pathway, haven't you? And I think those players are only going to get better when they're playing for the reserves week in week out. You know, they've had one one game together there. Um, and then keep playing and keep progressing as a team. I think you're gonna see some of those players hopefully coming to the side, like you said about Jack Stevens. He you know, I've seen him in a few training sessions last year and you can tell that lad's got something about him. He's got a cracking pair of hands and he, he just looks like he's got a rugby brain. And sometimes you can just see a player and you can say, Yeah, uh, I like what I see there. He looks a natural rugby league player. So uh, so very excited for, for for the future for them. And um you know for a club who's been criticised before for, for, for youth setups and things like that. It was disappointing that we didn't get the, the category A academy, but we, we've got a good thing there now and we've got to nurture that and, and keep progressing with it. And it was no, it was a pleasure to, to watch that game on Friday night. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, Salford's new signing, Tim Laffey, um got some minutes under his belt as well, uh, showed some good touches. Um, what did you make his performance and what do you think we can expect him to do in a Salford shirt?
2: yeah i was impressed with him yeah i mean considering it's his, his first um sort of experience with Solford, for you know he's not playing in, in the first team he had to show a bit of his experience there because he's playing with a lot of young players and i thought he showed up quite well as you said showed some good touches you know he's probably not quite up to match fitness yet he's not played for a while so uh, so yeah i think he'll get better and uh, and progress as the season goes on i think he's going to be a good player for us because we spoke about it on the podcast didn't we We were saying how much experience he's got in the nrl and you know he's no mug over there, so I think coming over to Super League, I think he'll uh, he'll be a natural to it. So, um, so yeah, we, we we've got some 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 good three quarters there at Salford and he's probably going to have to fight for his place in the team, but that that's a good thing. You've got Dan and Matty Costello, Callum Watkins, when he's fit, Dion Cross as well, and one or two others. So uh, it's going to be a good test to see how he goes on and where Paul Rowley sees him in the team.
0: Yeah, Super League starts this week, Paul Salford Devils. Our way to cast for Tigers uh, will be an interesting contest. Obviously, cast Tigers at Cass is always a, a very difficult game. Um, it will be a big test. And it will be a marker, really, to see where we are uh, going forward.
2: It'll be a huge test. It'll be absolutely huge. To- I know Casper have sold a lot of tickets as well. You're going to be going into a cauldron atmosphere. there It'd be like going into the lion's den really for Salford. So we're going to have to be switched on. You know, there's going to be periods in that game where Cats are going to have the ball, like support Max Shane. You're going to have to defend. You have to defend your goal line, and you're going to get dragged into a real battle against them. So it's going to be it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about that. And uh, this this will show where we are. I think we got to, to show our metal. And I think we can. I think we can go there and, uh, oh, I, th- I think they'll probably start as favourites, but I- I'm pretty certain we can go there and, and cause an upset. I think we've got a 10 point start on the coupon, so Buckies have definitely got Castleford as favourites, but, uh, but no, it's going to be a real tough test for Salford, and then obviously we've got Toulouse the week after, so, uh, we'll have to see how things go, but I'm really looking forward to it. You know, a Friday night match it's going to be pretty cold up there, I think, at Weldon Road for the Salford fans, because we always seem to be in the away end, don't we, with no cover on, so, uh, but it'll be an enjoyable night. I'm sure we can all pack in there and, uh, keep each other warm bit of body eating that and we'll be fine
0: it was the coldest I've ever felt a rugby match on Friday especially when everyone left and I was waiting for the the players interviews and that it got so cold Paul I'm telling you what freezing it
2: was cold when we came out
0: yeah I I came out and
2: uh, the wind across the car park, walking back to, uh, to the car. I was absolutely freezing, but there was loads of kids in front of me in the, the second half, sort of getting autographs, and it was Tommy Fury, the boxer, who was sat, sat in front of me. So um, I didn't know who it was. It was a guy who was up, and loads of kids were coming over and the pictures taken. So just shows you all the celebrities and uh, sports people turn out to watch Solid Red Devils.
0: Is that you being modest, Paul? They were there for you, and he just got in the way. Is that right?
2: I've had more fights than him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not at his level, though. <laughs> Uh, other big news as well going on in the world of Salford Devils. The women's team will take part in the Championship Division this season. and also play in the Challenge Cup as well, which is a great boost for them.
1: Yeah. They had a
0: great debut uh, game against Swinton Lions, winning that thirty points to four. So to have this opportunity to play in the Championship and, and take back in the Challenge Cup will give they, give them experience uh, and grow the profile of the team and the club.
2: Yeah, certainly. Well, and um, it, it's been a great good story this season so far I spoke to Captain Louise a few weeks ago and she was absolutely buzzing for it and you know it's uh, it, it's been a, been a great story I mean they're, they're getting some really good press the, the girls all seem in really high spirits you see them on Twitter now and on social media they're absolutely buzzing out to, to play and you know they've got I think it's three more sort of friendly games coming up or sort of they're not league games. I don't you can call them friendlies, pre-season matches or, or whatever you want. I suppose they are friendlies, aren't they? Because they're not in a, in a league this season. But they're, they're going to help to build the team together and gel the team together for when they go into the championship next season. But that was great news when we found that because that's going to be a competitive rugby league week in, week out for them and also in the cup as well. They're going to get to test themselves against some of the, the real big teams in, the, in women's rugby league. So, yeah, it's been small steps so far, but you know, it was great to see them win against uh, against Winter. and There's some tough fixtures coming up as well, but uh, but no, it's been a great story. And like like we said the other week about the story about Ghana, the story about the ladies, it's it's been all good in the in the preseason, and uh, everybody's really enthusiastic and looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, the Solfora Devils Under 18 Foundation lads went to is it Carwin Bay for a for a hot weather what they said training camp, <laughs> uh, which, which shows how professional that they want them to be. Obviously, taking the lads away, uh, learn a lot about themselves, able to train for longer, uh, and it's great.
2: I would not call it hot weather training in Corwin Bay, but probably uh, <laughs> windy weather training. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they enjoyed it. I saw some of the photographs on 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 Twitter. I think it wasn't Facebook, and uh, that that's great. That you know that sort of team bonding they'll get over there is is, is brilliant. So uh, hats off to everybody at Salford at the moment, and you know everybody seems to be working really hard, don't they? You know all the all the people, off, the, the players. You've got the people running the club, the backroom people, the people in the foundation. Everybody's uh, working really hard at Salford and making it into a real community feel. Field club, and that's that's what we all want. And let's uh, just hope we can get this win against Castleford and uh, start that momentum rolling this season in 2022 because that squad we've got is a very, very exciting one.
0: Yeah, let's uh, talk about Swinton Lions. Uh, they're in Challenge Cup action uh, this week. They played Crusaders. Um, big game um, for Swinton. Hopefully, they can get a win there.
2: Yeah, the second Welsh team they'll face, they, they did very well against West Wales. 96 nil, didn't they? There, I mean, Shane, they couldn't get the 100 points, but uh, but yeah, it'll be a bigger test against the Crusaders. They're, they're not a bad side, then one of the dark horses, I think, for this season in that, that League One. So, uh, another tough test for Swinton, but it's exciting times now, you know, that the round. I think in this this round of the round after the uh, I think it's the round after that so but they've already done the draw the championship sides are in there so that's when it starts getting uh, getting exciting and then you've got Super League sides that come in you know a couple of rounds after that so it won't be long before Salford in the tournament as well so yeah I think Swinton's league starts around around Easter time as well but they'll be buoyed by um, by that victory West Wales I know it we- no disrespect to West Wales, they're a struggling inside, but just score ninety points against anybody is a, is a good, uh, is a really good result. And you know the bookmakers have took notice of that because they've, they've dropped Swinton to three to one or two to one, joint favourites to, to win the uh, league one now. So uh, their confidence is going to be through the roof now. It's going to be a tough season for them, but uh, I think they're going to have a successful one.
0: Obviously, Swinton Lions, like you said, being installed as one of the favourites, is that pressure on Alan Coleman, the head coach? No I, think, I, I,
2: no, I don't think so. I think it'll spur them on. I think it'll give them a bit of confidence. You know, that they want to, to win matches and, you know, to score, like I said before, to score 90 points against the team is, is terrific, away from home as well. So, that, that'll that do their confidence in the world. Good. I thought they played pretty well when they played Salford. You know, you're playing a, a side that are two leagues above you, you know, professional outfit. And, you know, they, they weren't overawed by it. Yeah, Salford had a good victory and scored plenty of points. But, you know, Swindon scored a couple of tries and, and they worked really hard and they've got some talented players there. So, no, I don't think it'll... Um, I don't think you put pressure on them really. I think they'll, they'll be they'll be relishing it. They've got a couple of derby fixtures against Oldham and Rochdale in that league as well. So it's going to be a really entertaining season. For them. they've got a trip down uh, down to Cornwall, haven't they? Which uh, is going to be a long run for them, and obviously trips to Wales as well. So it'll be exciting for their supporters, and I'm sure they're looking forward to a good season. You know, after getting relegated last season from the Championship, it's tough, isn't it? So this season they want to recharge their batteries and, and have a successful one.
0: Yeah, with a minute to go, uh, Paul, obviously, rugby league season just round the corner. How excited are you about that? Oh, I can't wait. I've, I've enjoyed the pre
2: season, I've enjoyed the three year uh, pre season games, and really excited for, for the league to start now. And, you know, it's great with the matches on the telly as well. You've got a Thursday night game, Saints and Catalan this week to watch, so that'll be great. I think Huddersfield play Toulouse, I think, on the Saturday. So, yeah, festival of rugby league. I can't wait for it now, and uh, looking forward to getting my big coat out for Castleford on Friday night. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, we'll be talking all about it on the Sport Zone on Salford City Radio uh, for the next uh, sort of three, six months. Uh, rugby League, it's a fantastic sport. I uh, urge our listeners to follow both Salford, Red Devils and Swinton Lions uh, and obviously tune in to us on a Tuesday and we'll tell you all about what happened at the matches if you don't get yourselves down there. So big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I've Rob Parkinson. you can find us on Salford City Radio 94.4 every week talking all things sport in Salford. See you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.